after Easter, uh, this morning we have a wonderful opportunity uh, to ordain and install Brian Hart as an, uh, as an officer of this church, as a deacon specifically. And this morning I want to take the opportunity to look at the important role that deacons play in the life of the church and more broadly how God provides for leadership in the church. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 6 this morning. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles, your Black Pew Bibles, page 914. But we're going to look at the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6. Here are God's word as I read it again. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and, Nic- and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And God had a blessing to the reading of his word. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and the opportunity to be before you in your house and to receive from you your word, which you give to us, a great gift. We are thankful that you communicate your word to us. You provide your will and you help us to walk in your ways. And so, Lord, we pray by your spirit that you'd open our hearts and minds, our eyes and our ears, and you'd help us to see what we need to see today. Lord, encourage us and equip us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. While my memory is getting more dull, the more time passes, there are certain things that remain with you. And I've maybe shared this with you before, but I'll share it with you again. Almost 18 years ago, I was ordained as a minister of the word of the gospel in our denomination, Presbyterian Church in America. And of course, that took place after... Uh, Many years of study, going to seminary, doing an internship, uh, having to pass examinations, both uh, oral exams and written exams, doing before a small group and a large group. It was a lot of work, and uh, Jacob can attest to that as well. He did it more recently, and maybe his memory is fresher on those things. But it was a great joy for me at that ordination sermon or that ordination time, that the sermon was preached by my mentor. His name was Ed. He passed away a few years ago. Uh, But I had invited him from Florida, where he was living, to come and serve us and to serve me. And I have bits and pieces of that evening. But one of the things that has remained with me, and he was very clear, is he preached from this passage, actually. And his main theme, his big idea, was that ministry is messy. Ministry is messy. And I constantly think about it. And he made very clear to point out that he's saying, I'm not saying ministry is a mess. 
Because that entails you could clean it up and take care of it and be done with it. And so he pressed into that idea, and ministry is messy because people are messy. And that includes pastors and elders and deacons. That includes all of us. Life is messy. As we come to this passage, we see that seven men are chosen for a particular need in the very early church. You could say it was a messy situation, and it had the potential to become even more so had the apostles not acted in the way that they did. Certainly, the service that was needed couldn't have been easy, but it provides us a window on how the church was balancing these twin mandates of proclaiming the Savior and promoting service in His name. That is, representing Christ in the way that He moves among us. And so my theme is this. Because the church matters to us and to the world, the Lord has provided deacons to lead in service to His flock. And so I want to talk about three things, the formation, the focus, and the foundation of the deacon's ministry. Now, if you come from different church backgrounds, you will have experienced, in all likelihood, various ways that deacons have been viewed in the church. So if you come from a more congregational or Baptist background, you might be accustomed to what is called a single elder model that then has... Uh, deacons under the pastor or the single elder. In that case, the deacons end up acting much more like elders than the way that we see it in our church. If you come from a Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Anglican background, a deacon is a cleric ranking just below a priest. So it's a little bit different. Or in a Methodist background, it's a transitional order from deacon to elder. And I think that's uh, an incorrect view, but that's some things you might see. If you come from a Church of Christ background, it's more akin to what we have, as I understand it, in our church. But where did the office of deacon begin in the church? It's a little harder to trace this background than if you were to look at elders, it's easier to see their formation. Elders existed in the Old Testament as leaders in, in Israel. And they existed in the synagogue in the New Testament era. But possibly here in chapter 6, we see their formation. Some disagree with that, but I'll at least point out to you why some believe that. And Cornelius Van Dam, in his book, The Deacon, writes, Luke describes the ordination in great detail, referring to what happens in this passage. Such a careful relaying events becomes more understandable if a new office is being inaugurated in the Christian church that was unknown in the Old Testament. That Luke pays not attention to the office of elder in the book of Acts underscores this event. Now, he doesn't mean that Luke doesn't describe elders in terms of them acting, but he doesn't describe their being ordained or being brought up in the church in the same way. And so... He speaks now to say, Van Damme's pointing out that maybe Luke is paying this particular attention because something new is happening. And so we have the description of the ministry of the elders in several places, but no detailed description of their ordination is recorded in Acts. Now, as you go through the early church, you get to Philippians, 
when Paul's writing around 60 AD, he writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers, that would be the elders, and deacons. Now it's, at that time, a very specific office. And if you read 1 Timothy, you see the qualifications for that office that Paul provides. Throughout church history, Acts 6 has been seen as being the beginning of the office of deacon, but that is not a universal view. I'll give you the reasons why some hold it and some don't. In general, the view held in our denomination is that this is the beginning of the office of deacon. First of all, though, the reason that some suggest that it's not uh, the beginnings of deacons here is because the word as a noun, diakonos, is not present, though the verb form is present in verse 2. The word that we use for deacon as a specific office also has a very broad meaning of ministry or service. And so that is present here. There are also other related noun forms. You could also say, well, Luke doesn't identify them as deacons. Well, Luke's not writing anachronistically. It's the beginning. We might prefer to call them proto-deacons if you have trouble with the fact that they're not specifically referred to with that title. Another objection is that Stephen and Philip's, uh, Philip, who are mentioned as the first deacons, are also great evangelists. But I would suggest that just because they have extraordinary gifts in multiple areas, areas and callings does not preclude them from serving in this way. And so if not here, then where? Where, do, where does the office of deacon begin, which Alexander Strzok calls a distinctly Christian institution? So what we have here is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. If there are certain church traditions that say you have to have seven deacons, then you're using this as a prescription rather than seeing that this was a, what they did at the time. And there may be some background as to why they do it, but it's particular circumstances. So this seems to be the formation of the deacon's ministry. Let's talk more specifically about the focus of the deacon's ministry. And my theme is that the Lord provides for his flock. He provides deacons to lead in that service. So here's the setting. The early church is growing by leaps and bounds. We've moved beyond the 12 disciples and the other handful of followers. Pentecost has taken place. Remember that Jesus promised the disciples that they would be his witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they were going to be his witness. And sure enough, that happened. The Holy Spirit comes, Pentecost, Acts 2, and we read that 3,000 were added to the church. So I guess that, that makes it a mega church, the early churches. And the apostles have oversight of the church and leadership of it. If you just look back at chapter 4 uh, of Acts 33 and 30, uh, through 35, we read, there was, excuse me, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace was upon them all. 
There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So we see the apostles are leading at the time in this leadership and service. We see physical and spiritual healing. And so growth is taking place, and we read the beginning of this passage. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, so you see that, the church is growing, increasing in number, and the apostles coined the term now, mo people, mo problems, I think. Okay, Lydia says no. Right, you see, as things are increasing, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So we're seeing the glimpse of the gospel reach. It's going beyond the early walls of the church and it's expanding. And what has happened is Greek-speaking Jews have come to Jerusalem. They are the Hellenists. They maybe come from different places, but they're there in Jerusalem. They have a different background, a different language. They would have spoken Greek. The Hebrews would have spoken Aramaic. And yet these Jewish Christians have come into the church and they're there together. But there's a problem. Both of these groups shared the same Savior. And both groups had widows among them that were being cared for. But the Greek-speaking Christian widows were being neglected. That's what we hear. I don't believe there's any reason to see that that neglect was intentional. Have you ever tried to manage a group of people? Right? It it could be 30 people and you might overlook something. You heard that the church is growing daily. We know that 3,000 have joined the church at Pentecost. We see increasing numbers. And so I don't think it's intentional But there certainly was an oversight, and it's being brought to the apostles' attention. And so they come with the solution. They bring not just their wisdom, but they bring it before the congregation, if you will. The full number of the disciples that were told in verse 2. And they say, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Now that may sound negative, like, "Well, well, I mean, why are they so high and mighty That isn't how we should read that. They're simply saying we have a priority, we have a calling, and if we neglect that because we have to deal with this over here, our attention, our focus will be in the wrong place. And so therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of, of the wisdom Of wisdom, we hear in verse 3. And so that's their solution. We see that they're placing an importance on the preaching of God's word and on the ministry of prayer. But not to the neglect of the importance of caring for these widows, which they are obligated to do so. From the commands of Scripture. And so the seven are chosen. And it says in verse 5 that... Please the whole gathering. And what's interesting here in this seven is that they are all Greek-speaking Jewish Christians. They were not from the Hebrew section 
That's where the apostles would have been from. That's how they would have been identified, Aramaic-speaking Jewish Christians from that part of the world. But the church selected these seven. And so we see the representation from the church in the leadership. And we see an epilogue to, to this. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. It, it's telling us that as God's people set forth in obedience to how he was leading and how he was calling them to begin and focus this ministry, that the church continued to be blessed. And each one of us here in the church, each one of us has different gifts and callings and roles. And sometimes in the, if you're here on a Thursday, uh, Donna Bush has always given me a hard time because I'm wandering the halls because it's on Thursdays it's when I write my sermons. And sometimes I'm wandering the halls because I might be stuck. I'm tired of putting words to paper. I'm tired of, of thinking. So Donna reminds me, go back to your office. And I'll sometimes ask people around the halls, like, hey, do you, you want to switch tasks? You want to write a sermon? Now, I'm joking, sort of. But that is my unique calling, isn't it? And it doesn't make me better than anyone else. It's simply the way that the Lord has called me to serve this particular place at this time. But imagine if indeed I said, you know what, I really would like to do something else. And there are days I think like that. Surely, now someone else would be called to do the same. But it would be putting aside that which God has given me as a task. In the same manner, deacons specifically are called to lead in service of the flock. Now, I do not believe that the formation of the deacon ministry is to be a stepping stone office. As if... You were to look at elders and deacons and to say, ah, elders, they are much, much more important. It is simply another office that God provides for his church. And within that, different roles are operative. Different tasks are given. Deacons are not junior elders. And in particular, in our denomination, they are given care of three particular areas. When we read this in the book of church order, which I'm sure you're all familiar with, uh, I'll just enumerate them very quickly. Mercy, the care of individuals in need, both inside and outside of the church. Finances, the, what our book of church order says, the grace of liberality. It is the duty, duty also to develop the grace of liberality in the members of the church and to devise effective methods of collecting the gifts of the people and to distributing the gifts among the objects to which they are contributed. That's how it reads. And then later in the church would have been the care of the property, whatever church property exists. And we certainly see that and know that here. When I got to Virginia, the church I served, there was a, if I could say it affectionately, a crusty old deacon. His name was Bill Tuck, and he was the consummate deacon. He had never served as an elder. That was not his calling. But he always wanted to make sure the elders knew exactly what the deacons were about. 
And so even into his later years in life, when there was a church work day or something along those lines, you would find him working and serving the flock. You might not notice it. You might not see it. You might not be aware of it. But he was there behind the scenes. And I thank God for Bill Tuck and men like him. Certainly, the elders have a role. And in our denomination, if we don't have deacons, it's the responsibility of the elders to take that up. So we don't get to say, as a pastor or a ruling elder, we don't get to say, oh, well, I can't get my hands dirty. That's for somebody else. That's not the point. The deacons lead in service, and that includes even leading the elders. We are in that time of our year as we have officer nominations, and so in the bulletin you should have a form or there's more out on the table. So as you look around and as you consider prayerfully, if you're a member of the church, consider who it is that you see serving. How are they leading? And consider men that you might nominate uh, for the office of deacon as well as the office of elder, which has a different role and task. Uh, But that time is upon us as well. Finally, I want to talk about the foundation of the deacon's ministry Jesus is the cornerstone and the foundation of the church, and therefore he must be the foundation of all ministry. He is the head of the church, Colossians 1.18 says. And so he is the leader above all other leaders and the rightful focus of every person in the church, regardless of their position, their place, or their circumstances. And that includes the deacon's ministry. Look again at the qualifications That we hear in verse 3. Therefore brothers pick out from among you seven men of good repute. Full of the spirit. And of wisdom. Those are three brief qualifications. But would you consider any of those things a small thing? Being of good repute. That is having a good reputation in the church and in the world. There's a saying about reputation, right? It takes a lifetime to build a good reputation, but only one bad moment to destroy it. So for men to be seen with good repute, that's not a small thing. To be full of the Spirit. Now, every believer, every follower of Christ is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, has the gift of the Spirit. So deacons or other men are not better than in that sense. But you still, as you follow people in this world, you see those who are operating by the Holy Spirit and those who are maybe operating by their flesh. And so they were to be full of the Spirit. And they were also to have wisdom, also not a small matter. And so that's the foundation, is following Christ and being led by His Spirit and seeking His wisdom. And Jesus Himself is the foundation of that we stand upon. He's the example of diaconal ministry. We see it in his the way that he ministered to others. Read the Gospels and see how he cared about other people. See how he moved into difficult situation and how he operated with wisdom. Look at the Gospels and the accounts of Jesus' ministry and what he said about himself. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to be a servant. And we see that example in his death. 
that he would give his life as a ransom for many. To serve in his very dying. Now none of us are called to that. But he does call us in John 13 to love one another as he has loved us. How has he loved us? Sacrificially. He's loved us while knowing us and knowing all that we've done or failed to do. How does he love us? He loves us by getting down on his knees and washing our feet. Getting dirty. And as he does, he takes our mess and our messiness. He makes us clean. And so our deacons follow in that perfect example of Jesus. Will they do that perfectly? No. And the elders who have the same foundation will not serve in their roles perfectly. But thank goodness we have a perfect Savior. Our book of Church Order, chapter 9, 1, says the office of deacon is set forth in the scriptures as ordinary and perpetual in the church. The office is one of sympathy and service after the example of the Lord Jesus. It expresses also the communion of saints, especially in their helping one another in the time of need. So this we hear about the foundation of diaconal ministry. Ministry is messy. But it also would be a huge mess if not for men and women who put themselves in the place of servants. Can I get an amen? We'll work on that. The deacons model that for us in a particular office. And do you remember James and John, the sons of Zebedee? Remember they had a request of Jesus? They thought of themselves not as servants, but as the elite. They thought of themselves not as apostles of Christ, though they were, but as maybe better than that, which is saying something. And so they asked Jesus. Jesus very politely uh, took on their, their request. You know, hey, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, we want you to do something for us. And Jesus says, hey, what? Anything. Tell me what you want. I'll take care of it. And so we want to sit at your, your right hand. We want to be with you. We're up there with you. And then we hear Jesus call to them. And he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And thank God he did. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And, and we've just looked at this passage relatively briefly, but we thank you that it gives us a picture of of what is the office of deacon, or at least the beginnings of it, I believe. We certainly see those that were chosen to serve and to deal with the messiness of ministry. And we thank you for your leading and your providing for multiple roles in the church so that we can fulfill our callings and do what you've called us to do. 
I pray that you'd equip men and women, boys and girls in the church, to be your servants. But we pray also, Lord, that you'd raise up men as deacons to lead in that service. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We do have opportunity today to ordain and install Brian, as I told you. And we see that God provides for the church. He provides different roles. And consider, you can see in uh, the insert nomination form, it has the form on one side and then on the other side. Or you can go to scripture and see in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 that there are some specific uh, qualifications. And we look at those and we say, well, who can attain to that? Who could do that perfectly? Well, none of us will. But as we're following Christ, the Lord is leading us and guiding us. And so I want to invite uh, Brian forward. And I have some questions, and I've provided these in the bulletin for you so that you can see these. And I'm going to ask these questions of him, and then I have a question for you if you're a member of the congregation. And then after I do that, we're gonna, I'm going to have the elders uh, come and pray. Uh, and we're going to lay hands on Brian and pray for him. So here are the questions. I think you know these. All right. Do you believe <laughs> the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you sincerely, this is longer, do you re sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith in the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the holy scriptures? And do you further promise that if, if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your session the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow? Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity? Do you accept the office of deacon in this church and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer? Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? Last one. Do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, unity, and edification of the church? And to the congregation, if you are a member of this church, and I, you will signify your assent to this by raising your right hand, do you, the members of this church, acknowledge and receive this brother as a deacon, and do you promise to yield him all that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which his office, according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles him? Yes. Thank you. I'd like to invite the elders to come forward, and we're going to uh, lay hands on Brian in a kind way, lay hands on you. And uh, we want to pray for you. And after we do, because it's, it's, it's very much there, we're going to give you the right hand of fellowship. That's, that's what it says we do. So uh, let's uh, pray for Brian.
humble spirit, his love for you, and his willingness to serve you in this capacity. And I pray for all of your blessings upon us. I pray that you would lift him up and give him the wisdom to do Father in heaven, <clears throat> it is good to be in your house this morning to praise you, to hear your word, and to see the provision of your people in all kinds of ways, including providing us with fire and electricity beforehand. And God, I thank you so much for your love to us and providing a church and a structure that allows us to come together and worship you. I pray that you bless them and be with them in this Father, we thank you for this time and the the joy of seeing you provide for your church. Lord, we've had ups and downs through the years, but you always provide for us. And we thank you that you've brought uh, healing and peace to our body. And we thank you that you've brought uh, Brian and Beth among us in the ways that they serve this church. We praise you for that. And we pray particularly for Brian, Lord, as he's been set apart for this particular role. Lord, that he would continue to serve in humility, but also in leading us in your will and your ways. Lord, we thank you for your provision uh, through Brian. We pray also you continue to raise up men and women and boys and girls in our church uh, to follow in that service and follow in his leadership. And Lord, we pray that you bring more uh, deacons among us as well, uh, men who would serve in this, in this role. But for now, Lord, we pray for Brian. We thank you that though he is not perfect and none of us are, uh, he worships and we worship with him a perfect Savior. Uh, the servant above all servants. And we praise, praise you and thank you for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And one more thing. I now pronounce and declare that Brian Hart has been regularly elected, ordained, and installed a deacon in this church, agreeable to the word of God, and according to the Constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such, he is entitled to all encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.